This is Let's Get Real with your realtor hosts, Mallory Myers and Rob Calabro, talking real life and real estate. All right, from the Buckeye State to the Sunshine State, this is Let's Get Real. What's up, Mallory? Hey, Rob. How are you today? Doing great. It is sunny in Columbus, Ohio. It's, Ooh. I think, in the 60s. Um, and so feeling feeling excited about spring. How about you? <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Uh, it's beautiful today. This morning it actually felt like spring. It was 74 degrees, beautiful breeze, no humidity. And that doesn't last long in Florida. So <laughs> it's freaking glorious this morning. I just like had an extra pep in my step leaving the gym and get, I was just like, oh, so nice windows down. So we only get to enjoy it for like two days. <laughs> yeah. But hey, and then it's too hot. I know. And then it gets crazy hot down there and everybody leaves, right? They, they go back to their home state. Or I'm whatever. hoping so. I'm pretty <laughs> sure it's about time for them to get out of here. Yeah. That's what my, my parents told me, like after like, April or something, everybody's like, Oh yeah. We, um, we, my couple, a couple girlfriends and I went to Dunedin on Sunday and Dunedin is a super cute, quaint little town. A lot of um, snowbirds kind of flock there. It's starting to get a little bit more popularity. Um, But we went Sunday and it was like dead, which was amazing. We were riding our bikes. We were exploring the city on the trail and it was so nice. And I'm like, this seems odd that it is so quiet in Dunedin on the Sunday afternoon and it was beautiful out. And I was like, oh, maybe they left. Maybe the snowbirds have left. <laughs> oh man. It's but hey, hey, so when we were down there, um, I didn't see that many. I mean, it was a lot of, you know, it felt like the same demographic as where we are in Columbus. I didn't see that many, but you go down a little bit farther South to like Naples, Fort Myers, it does feel like there's more snowbirds than in your area. Absolutely. Sarasota area in our area. It's just getting busier with people who want to live here. So Mm -hmm. it's starting to pack up with just so many more people who work remote and wants to live in an amazing city that's growing that's on the water you got great nightlife great downtown life and the beach i mean it's kind of like the best of both worlds so now we're just starting to get bombarded with people who call it home now yeah it's an awesome place <laughs> Which is we, great <laughs> we had a great trip um i know so we recorded an episode i don't know if it's going to get out or not <laughs> based on the sound quality but um, but that was really fun. And we, I, it was awesome. I thought it was an awesome city. The restaurants were great. The scenery, the outdoor areas, the parks, you know, all that stuff's really cool. So it's, it's so beautiful. I, I still pinch myself about living here. It is, it's such a beautiful place and I'm, I'm so thankful to call it home for sure. Yeah. Um, all right, cool. So we've got a couple of good topics today. We're going to talk about lending a little bit in some detail about the importance of knowing your lender, who's doing the financing. And I think in this market, you're, to your point that we were talking about earlier, is it's getting overlooked sometimes and it's something you really can't overlook. Um, and then we're going to talk a little bit about a pretty interesting topic about commissions, real estate commissions, and some of the things that are happening in the industry right now. Um, we'll go into some detail on that. But before we get into that, um, what what's going on as far as your, your business, your real estate uh, business going? 
it's it's kicking off. I am seeing the fruit of a lot of hard work. Um, as you know, we've talked about this a lot, that sometimes you feel like you're running ragged and you're doing a whole bunch of work and it seems like, you know, nothing's working out, nothing's panning out. We've talked about planting seeds. Um, and the day that you plant the seed is not the day you eat the fruit. Um, and I feel like I'm in the spring season of seeing fruit of all of the hard work, um, getting a lot more listings, a lot more clients. Um, I hit top agent of my brokerage office, um, in April. So that was really exciting. Um, one of the, one of three top agents, but yes, it was wonderful. Um, so it's really awesome to start seeing, hard work pay off. Um, and a lot more inventory is obviously coming getting more mm-hmm. listings. Um, I just put one under contract yesterday and, Beautiful. um, some past clients who bought, I think not even two years ago, were thinking about selling again. They're thinking about listing their house next month. Um, awesome. and that's a gem in South Tampa, beautiful pool home that they, uh, have added. Um, so I'm excited. I think that a lot more inventory is coming. Mm-hmm. Um, so I hope buyers are, you know, staying encouraged with that. So my business is, is starting to really pick up and amp and I'm super thankful. How's your <laughs> business, Rob? Um, good. Yeah. So like, I always say this, like, yeah, what's your, your point that you were just making? You know, we, we're usually working uh, on things that are not going to pay off for three to six months out. Um, so, yeah, you were in that um, that grinding uh, portion and now it's all come together. But don't forget to, to keep working hard so that in oh, three, six months stopped. from now, you'll <laughs> still have, you know. Uh, but, yeah, everything's good here in Columbus. Um I've got a, uh, a lot of stuff coming on the market in the next couple of months. And I just got a buyer under contract in one of the coolest, uh, I think one of the coolest houses that uh, I'll be able to, or I have been able to be a part of. Uh, it's oh, really it's awesome. Nice, yeah, it's Share a, the details. Um, it's a beautiful, historic, remodeled property in an area of Columbus called German Village. Um, mm. We were looking for at all kinds of properties, and um, they were really anxious to get something and got one. I think is the perfect fit for them. So, awesome. super Congrats. cool. Yeah, that was that was a good one. Um, and yeah, there's just a lot of things that are. Uh, continue to move forward or in the middle of spring, we were, you did mention about inventory. So um, before we dive into our two topics, let's talk a little bit about where the rates are and what you're seeing as far as, uh, and what I'm seeing as far as the market and the pace of the market, as far as how in, how rates are impacting that. Yeah, absolutely. So in my opinion, um, obviously it shifts buyers, price point, their budget, right? Like, so if the interest rates are now in the sixes, that's probably going to change their 3%, you know, price point that they were getting, um, depending on what they were looking for to spend on their monthly mortgage. Right. Um, so the higher price points, I see a little bit less, um, attention, than before, just because not everybody can afford it anymore. Like maybe they could. Um, but I, I do think that it's, 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 it's really not slowing down the market in a sense. I mean, 6% is not 3%. It's a little bit higher than we've seen. Um, however, it, you still need to buy a home. It's still a great time to buy, you know, it, you kind of got to just work with it. Um, I don't think it's really slowing anything down here, so to say. 
Well, I think we're both in parts of the country, in, in cities that are benefiting from natural like population growth, job growth and yeah. population growth obviously have a big impact on housing. And you, you know, your Tampa, St. Pete area is growing. It's, you know, prices are increasing and people, everybody's wanting to move down there. A lot of people yeah. I've talked to want to move down there. Um, and, and Columbus is also seeing a similar benefit because we are, we have great job opportunities. We have a really nice community. So people are drawing in. And we talked about this on a different episode. Other cities in Ohio are shrinking as Columbus mm-hmm. is growing. Yeah. Um, so I, I think from that standpoint, we're, we're not going to see a huge impact um, as far as a decrease in demand in housing, mm-hmm. simply because there isn't enough housing here. Where, where we live, it is still affordable too. Um, mm-hmm. So even though rates are going up, it's going to have an impact. Absolutely will have an impact in the demand, but I foresee that being into the future a little bit, maybe into the mm-hmm. fall. We always see a dip in the fall in Columbus. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised if that natural dip is also combined with, you know, a uh, slowdown from interest rates. But here in the spring, demand is still so high. I just don't see anything changing in the immediate future. Um, yeah, I one, agree. one statistic, and I mentioned this on my market update recently, um, we're actually down 13% month over month for the month of April uh, in showings. So showings that mm. occurred, uh, that's, that's a pretty substantial number. Now, yeah. you wouldn't notice it if you're listing your house or if you're buying a house because there's instead of being 15 offers, maybe you're competing against 10 and you can't really... Yeah you know, that's not a huge noticeable difference to the consumer. But, Mm -hmm. you know, if we look at the data, we are seeing that now. Part of that is driven maybe by rates and a slowdown in demand. Um, The other part is probably driven by the fact that there's no no inventory. So there's less houses on the market means there's less showings that are going to occur. Right. Um, But I think it's something important to to think about that we could eventually see an effect of that. Also, hugely depends on if rates go back down a little bit because I think I'm seeing like about five, five and a quarter. Um, you know, that's changing every day. It's fluctuating right. a lot. So if rates drop down and hold in the high fours, I think that's not going to hurt anybody. They jump up to sixes. That's, you know, uh, it'll have a little bit different impact. So we'll have to see what happens over the next two, three, four, five months. Um, yeah. Yeah. But uh, I guess the, the general consensus is that it's still a really busy, really high demand market. Yeah, it is. It is. I mean, I think that if you're looking to buy, still try, still shoot your shot. Um, You know, it's especially if you're financing, don't be afraid to submit an offer. I know so many buyers are afraid now to, to even try because they're afraid they're not going to get accepted. What's the point? Blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. So I think there's a lot of buyer fatigue that has to do with the showings. Um, there's a lot of, let's yeah. kind of see what happens. Let's just take a break. Let's just, you know, renew our lease until we can figure it out. So that's, that's a lot of the feedback that I'm getting um, is, is all of that. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, so it could create some some small windows of opportunity there for, for people out in the marketplace. Um, yeah. but, but what you just mentioned about the financing portion of it, let's dive into that a little bit. So t- 
tell, yeah. tell me what you told me earlier about your situation with the lending, and then we'll kind of just dive into it. Yeah. So I know that we have talked a lot about building relationship partners um, and with your vendors. And your vendors yeah. are your lenders, your inspection companies, and your title companies. Those are three very important companies that you need to be pretty good friends with. And you can have a couple, you know, it doesn't always have to be the same lender, the same inspection company, the same title company, but those are, that's your team. That's Mm -hmm. your ally and getting to the closing table and getting these transactions done. And um, so when you're on the buying side, your lender is very important and your um, inspection company is very important. So in regards to your lender, the lender is lending you money to buy a home. How important is that? One to 10, I'd say it's a 10. You're, yeah. you're borrowing hundreds of thousands of dollars to purchase a home. You're asking a company to help you buy your dream home, most likely, or your first family home or your first investment home, whatever it is. So why wouldn't you want to do some research that that company is going to get you to the closing table? There's, you know, there's so many financing fall through coming back on the market, right? All these homes are coming back on the market because buyer's financing fell through. I don't know how it is in Columbus. Here, we're seeing a lot more of it. And uh, and you think, well, why? I know I have a solid lender. I've They've never had a buyer financing fall through. If, if it doesn't work out, it's probably because the buyer screwed up or the buyer, you know, didn't, you know, didn't work out and the buyer's financing fell through because of a buyer situation, not because they couldn't lend you the money. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of companies out there that that say they're in the business, but they're they're not very known to close, right? Like they're um there's so many and and they kind of have a stigma with them, right? So anyway, when I when um I was looking through offers for my listing. They were all financed, which is great. I personally think financed buyers have more skin in the game than cash. Financed buyers actually really want this home. Most likely, they're putting all the money they have that they've saved. They're spending their own money to do the inspection. They're spending their own money to do the appraisal. They really want this home. They want to make it work. If you're cash most oftentimes you're just like, meh, let's cancel. Meh, I have the money. Meh, I don't really care. You know, like they think cash is keen and they act like it. And so I don't mind working with finance buyers um, for my listings because I do think that they'll really try to make it work. Mm-hmm. With that said, um, I was looking through the offers for my listing and I had touched base with the listing agents. How do you feel about the lender? The lender is going to get to the closing table. So how do you feel about them? And none of them had anything confident to share. They had no information about the lender. They had never worked with them before. They said, I don't know. I'm waiting for the pre-approval from my client, but an offer is coming you know, your way. And I'm just thinking, how do you not know about the lender? How, I mean, isn't that something you ask when you first get a buyer? Hey, who are you pre-approved with? Oh, let me build a relationship with them to make sure that you will get to the closing table. That's how, but that's how I treat my buyers. That's how I make sure that the lender is, is steady. And so I was just kind of really blown away that these financed offers could have stood out better if they would have 
pushed their lender a little bit more, like say, Hey, my lender is amazing. Like, I'm sure you have cash offers, but I just want to let you know that I truly trust my lender. They're really like, I've never had an issue with them not getting to the closing table. They've appraised at value or more for the last four of my deals, you know, like share a little bit about that trust with your lender that your client is working. And if they're not with your preferred, do your research, contact that lender, make sure that they're available after hours, make sure they're available on the weekends, make sure that they're available when real estate happens. You know, you want right. to be confident that your clients are going to get to the closing table. Um, so I just kind of was really shocked. I mean, for the offer that we accepted, it was a fantastic offer. It was a VA loan. Um, and I called the, I called the lender and he um, he didn't answer because my call ended up coming in and scam likely I found out, but he called me right away when he got my voicemail. He was just like, my clients have been looking for a year. They have plenty of money in reserves. They're solid buyers. And we are, we are confident that we'll get to the closing table. Yeah. And I said, great. Well, now I have a little bit more confidence to accept this offer. But all that rant to say who is financing your buyers is super important, especially when you're submitting an offer as financed. Yeah. Okay. So there's a lot of things I'd like to comment on <laughs> from, from that rant. Um, the, the first one is kudos to you for doing that for, because you're doing the job of for your seller to go out and say, yes, I'm going to do the research on who's whose offer we're taking by contacting the individual lenders and finding out how much uh, information I can gather to help you make a decision, right? Yeah. It's mm -hmm. important for the, the seller because there's a lot of agents that may not do that. Right. And that's, you know, that's a service that should be done to help them make the best decision. Now, we're not always going to get it perfectly correct, right? Because it's possible that something could change and we, we couldn't. Right. But right. Um, so to go back to the first thing you mentioned, uh, deals coming out of contract. I haven't checked the statistic in a little while, but it used to be about 80% um, mm. in, in central Ohio, about 80% of contracts fall apart. Now that includes both financing wow. and um, inspections. Mm. I had noticed that that number got to be a little bit higher um, once the, basically during the pandemic, when everything was going bonkers, multiple, I mean, still like this, multiple offers, but a lot of times buyer will make a decision to, to go all out for a property and then immediately have remorse. Um, yeah. And you see that happen from time to time. So it's, it's a good reason to want to vet who's buying the property to the best that you have the ability to do right. that. Um, right. and, and to your point about the cash versus the financing, I mean, that's sort of a generalization, but at the same yeah. time, the point is this, somebody who's, your, your point is a finance buyer, maybe, you know, that's, um, they're more vested in making the purchase than a cash buyer who is more financially qualified and therefore not as tied to that one property. They're just kind of like, I can buy, you know, a lot of properties. I got my, my choice. Mm -hmm. So I'm not as vested in that one individual property. Right. And I mean, like it, when I was um, getting requests for showings and texts from the agents, they were like, are you entertaining you know, a VA offer. And I'm like, 
we will review all offers, all finance, all, Mm -hmm. you know, all types, just please submit your best. I mean, we obviously would gladly accept a cash offer as well. And I'm sure cash offers and I know cash offers are, are still great, but at the, like you were saying to your point that there's just a little bit more, um, desire to get to that closing table if you're financing, I think. Yeah. And that kind of goes back to a conversation we had a couple of weeks back about the buyer love letters. And mm-hmm. like, maybe the point of the love letter is not, you know, an opportunity to, to select somebody because of, of some reason or another, other than like, I can tell that this person is not going to walk away from this deal unless right. they are forced to, you know, yeah. and that's important. And that's not a discrimination factor. That's just a, a, a making a smart decision as a seller to say, you know, I believe that I've got the best deal because I trust this person's going to follow through with closing. Right. And that's, that can be a, a huge, important factor in who you decide to, to work with. Right. Um, but you brought up another point and that was about the lender's availability. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a situation just recently where we had, you know, had the pre-approval and everything was fine, but, um, the seller had requested an extended contract about 60 days and the date of our pre-approval was only good through, you know, about 45 days or something. So it didn't quite make it through the end of the contract. Now, most people wouldn't care. They just wait till Monday and they check with the lender, but this was a relocation deal and they're very strict on things that they'll accept. And one of their stipulations was that they would not accept a deal uh, from a buyer who's not doesn't have a pre-approval date at least through the time the date of closing. Um, of course, the the lender happened to be a large bank, and the, the um, buyer had gone to like a banker, not somebody that works at a branch office, not a, a, a lender that, mm-hmm. and so a mortgage lender. Yeah. Anyways. That person doesn't answer their phone, doesn't list their cell phone number. So there's no way to get a hold of that person until Monday morning. Fortunately, I knew somebody else at the bank and we were able to get uh, a letter typed up from that person on their on the their coworker's behalf. So their mm. coworker owes them a huge thank you. But yeah. uh, so we were able to work that out. But it's one of those things where, hey, you know, something that you don't think would ever come up, but it does, you know, you can't yeah. get a hold of your financing person and you, and it could put you in a position where you don't get to buy the house you want to buy because they didn't answer exactly. the phone on a Sunday or a Saturday. Yep. Say I need an updated pre-approval. Say I, you know, want to make sure that the payments, you know, will work out that you're about mm-hmm. to submit an offer on, you know, there's, there's so many things that are important in asking your lender when it comes to even just submitting an offer, um, not just after you're under contract. It's, it's your, your lender is a huge deal in getting to the closing table and yeah. And the good home. ones I notice nowadays, the good ones are willing to make a call on your mm-hmm. behalf or send a letter or an email on your behalf when your buyer is submitting an offer. Yeah. Um, and it, maybe it helps, maybe it doesn't, but it's not going to hurt, you know? Um, it's not, I copy my lenders sometimes on my offers to let them know like, Hey, like my lender is attached. The pre-approval is attached. She's happy to, you know, vet for my clients and then he'll respond or something, you know, after that. 
Yeah. I mean, it's, it's having someone that you can work with successfully that communicate. That's another issue I've ran into lately is communication. If even sometimes I try to explain this uh, to a lender I was working with recently and um, they were just waiting for it clear to close. And we're like past the closing date and just like little details had to make be updated in the underwriting process and whatnot. Um, and they were just kind of, they don't have an update, so they didn't say anything. And they're not answering their phone, not hard, not easy to get a hold of. And my point to them was, look, just, just because you don't have an update doesn't mean that you don't need to, to reach out to the client who's sitting here, supposed to be signing already, waiting to know when we're going to schedule. You know, there's all these other people waiting to know when we're going to schedule, yeah. you know, reach out and say, Hey, I'm working on this, but I don't have an update. That is yeah. much better than doing nothing, nothing. and, and yeah. having them sitting there twiddling their thumbs thinking like what's happening. Yep. I um, completely agree. So I guess to, to boil it down a little bit, you've got to have the, those good relationships, but the lender can do a, a good job of selling the, the client on how well they've vetted them. If they haven't yep. vetted them, like if they go to an online source like a uh, better.com or Quicken Loans, you know, those those are all the huge lenders. They close deals. Yes. And you know, it's not impossible to have a, a successful transaction with one of them. But mm-hmm. one thing I do know is that it's a lot of times they don't go through the full vetting process mm-hmm. before they issue the pre-approval. So right. if you're if you're on the other side of the table and you're selling a property. You'd, you'd like to know that the, and you have options, right? You've got mm. options. You want to know that the option you're selecting isn't going to fall through in five days because right. they, you know, or 10 days because they didn't collect the verification of some of those financial items they should have verified. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. I completely agree. It's, it's kind of scary. And it goes back to that one client I had where we closed um, last month where she, got a pre-approval on better.com, but she's like, but I didn't have to submit anything. So I feel like it probably wasn't really a pre-approval. And that's true. I'm like, if you didn't submit anything, you're just putting your own numbers in, they're going to find out some things later and your whole budget could change. Your whole pre-approval could change. And you're looking and offering it a home that you cannot afford based on what you think you can afford. I had that happen this going back a few years, but the the client owned a, a, a second home that he didn't disclose to the lender. And it was rented out and it was cash flowing. So he didn't think anything of it, but it still changed their uh, terms. And we had to pivot and mm. use a different loan program. Um, yeah. So a lot can, there's a lot of moving parts when, when it comes to the financing. So the more, you know, the better um, yeah. when it comes yeah. to that. Absolutely. All right, so should we go to topic number two? Let's go. All right. The commission discussion. So um, I'll do a little explaining and then we can kind of discuss it. Um, the, there has recently been a lawsuit, a class action lawsuit that uh, was brought up. I forget what state it is. It's not in every state across the country. I'm pretty sure it's not in Ohio. I don't know about Florida. I want to um, say it's a California or somewhere bizarre. West Coast. Oklahoma yeah. or something. I can't remember. Okay. Well, anyways, so the, the, there's... The lawsuit is proposing that um, that uh, there's price fixing in the real estate industry in which the buyer's agent 
fee is uh, the, the seller does not have a choice as to how much they're offering to pay the buyer's agent, not their agent, the listing agent, but the co-oping fee. Um, so, and I, like we were discussing earlier, I understand how that could be assumed that's the case, but it's not the case because the way that commissions work is the, the person who's selling the property agrees to pay a commission percentage or a dollar amount to their agent, the listing agent, and then the listing agent agrees to pay a co-oping fee to the mm-hmm. buyer's broker if there right. is a buyer broker involved, which means let's take, for example, Columbus, where the average commission is 6%. Mm-hmm. The that is a negotiable fee. So mm-hmm. an agent could charge five percent. An agent could charge five and a half percent. An agent could charge seven percent. An agent could charge three percent plus five thousand dollars flat. It could be whatever they decide on with the mm-hmm. seller. Um, but the whatever they d- decide on, then they turn around and they offer the co-op fee of. Typically, it's 3%. Mm-hmm. So usually when you do this, you're going to do a 6% commission and you're going to collect 3% to go to the buyer's agent and you're going to keep 3% to pay yourself and to pay your brokerage and all those things. Right. Um, but it's not uh, it, one thing that I think a lot of sellers and consumers don't understand is that is negotiable, right? The, the, uh, the amount that the listing agent is offering to the buyer's agent doesn't have to be that 3%. But there is a reason that we're going to talk about in a second of why we we try not to vary from it. Um, so, um, I guess, where do you stand on how that works? So, it, it's great that Columbus is a standard of 6% still. I mean, here... It's ruthless. I mean, there's 1% on, you know, that a buyer's agent's getting paid. There's that 3% standard has now gone to like 5% standard to 4% standard. So when you see that um, the, the selling agent is offering 3% to bring the buyer, that's a big deal now. It means like, wow, I'm actually getting everything that I'm worth. Um, so it's kind of sad that, that, in, in this market, in Florida and in Tampa Bay area, it's very competitive into getting listings, I guess. And so people are negotiating down how much you know the seller has to pay yeah. for it. And it, it's unfortunate because the buyer's agent is busting their tail trying to get their clients into a home under contract. And then when they finally do, they're getting paid so much less than normal. Um, So it's really sad. It's really sad. So when I have been getting my listings, I'm sharing, you know, the 6% is, you know, I'm bringing a lot of value. It's, it's kind of standard. Are you okay with 6%? And then Mm -hmm. I give the buyer's agent 3%. And I, I think in this market, you're going to get a lot more attention when you see a house that's sharing 3% of their commission um, because the buyer is like, oh my gosh, like everything I, you know, I'm working so hard for, this agent is going to pay me that. And I want my client to get that house versus the house over here. That's 1% offering. I mean, I've had agents tell me that they won't even they will nix a house that has 1% commission. And that honestly, it's not ethical, right? Like I won't do that. But at the same time, that's the whole like point of you're, you're bringing, you're bringing value by your listing and listing it at what is standard. 
just with that alone, but just yeah. with that alone, people are admiring your home. Agents are going to do whatever it takes to get their client into your home because you're helping them with what's fair in this market. Yeah. I mean, there, and there's a lot of things that are antiquated about real estate commissions, but I mean, the fact that, um, you know, uh, an agent with no experience might collect the same, same, uh, commission as an agent with a ton of experience who will do right. a much better job, but that's up for the consumer to decide who they hire. Right. right? They yeah. have that choice. Um, yep. But, but what we talked about earlier is I looked at st- st- some statistics. I had noticed there was a certain brokerage uh, that is an eye, basically an eye buyer. Um, they buy houses, they turn them around, they flip them and they resell them. And mm-hmm. they, 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 you know, list uh, all of their own properties here in the Columbus area and what I noticed was I'd seen that I like they had some pretty, you know, decent looking houses that were not flying off the shelf. And I was surprised. So I started doing some research and I had I found that they were average and they they offer a, a lower commission. Amount. So they usually offer either two and a half or two percent or something in that range to the to the buyer broker. Um, I had just noticed that their average days on market is about 29 days. And if you look at the average across the city of Columbus over everything, it's about 17 days. Yeah. So they're averaging yeah. two, two weeks higher, um, almost two weeks more days on market. Now it's, it's a little bit harder to find out how that translate exactly translates exactly to a percentage more. Um, but one thing that we can, you know, we can safely assume that if you're on the market for two weeks longer, you're most likely getting a lower sales price than right. somebody who sells right away. Um, well, and, and knowing the iBuyer, um, it, the reason why it sits longer is because the communication from that side is terrible. I mean, I've, I've called those kinds of companies before and I've been like, is this still available? And I have to leave a voicemail and I never get a call back. It shows active for five days, even if they are in negotiations of a contract. So you have no idea what's going on with the home and until all of a sudden it hits pending. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's just kind of, it's, it's a, it's not exactly a smooth sale on the buyer side to submit offers on that on that type of home. Right. I mean, so if you look at it from a seller's perspective, you want to offer the, the, you know, fair rate of commission because you want to get the best deal. And Mm -hmm. so most of the time that's going to be the case. And that showing that statistic kind of just proves that Uh, of course that, you know, people like you and me are going to say like, of course, you know, we're going to show the houses and talk to buyers about whatever's the best fit for them. Right. But there, it, the numbers don't lie. There is a reason why the the across the board those numbers are higher for that style of listing than yeah. a traditional listing. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. So, and the other part of the conversation that we talked about earlier was when it comes to commissions and the, the way that a buyer's agent is paid a fee from the selling agent it goes back to a long time ago when when they there were no buyer's agents, right? There was only seller's agents. So you had, you hired a listing agent. This was before the MLS and the internet and whatnot, but 
you hired a listing agent, their job was to market the house and find a buyer. And then they would just find a consumer, you know, probably a lot of times a first time home buyer to come in and buy your, and buy your house. They would represent right. the person selling the house and they would negotiate against, you know, with the other buyer. Mm-hmm. But you think about that situation. You've got the homeowner who knows the house better than anybody, who's at least bought one property, the one they own, probably Mm -hmm. bought others. Mm -hmm. And you've got the listing agent who probably sells hundreds of properties and has been involved in tons of property negotiations, knows a lot more about housing and, and real estate purchases and real estate contracts than the buyer who doesn't currently own a home and is coming in unrepresented. Right. So they, at some point in time, I don't know the, the, the years or anything, at some point in time that they, they, people, consumers realize like, hey, this isn't really a fair deal. Uh, it's kind of the, the, the deck is stacked against the buyer in that scenario. So that's right. when the, uh, then the buyer's agency came about and they said, well, the buyer should have an opportunity to be represented as well. And, and then from there, it, it developed into what it is now. Um, so maybe I think the, the, the bottom line is that agents like me and you need to be more transparent and more explain better how commissions work and what you're getting for them. But ultimately there is a huge value for the buyer having representation. And I think there's absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Especially like if, if you're, it almost works better because your client knows that you're going to do any, everything for them. Mm-hmm. And the buyer's agent, you know, is going to do everything they can for that, for their buyers. And yes, sometimes it works where I will have both buyer and seller. And it's an interesting, you know, negotiation. You know, you obviously are doing your best for both parties. Mm-hmm. You know, you're working for the transaction at that point right. with trying to make sure that each party is getting what they deserve and you know, what's fair. If it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out, but it's, it's so much better when you're working with the solo client and, you know, understanding that I'm doing everything I can for you. And then mm-hmm. the buyer's agent is going to do everything they can for them. Right. It's- yeah. And as a dual agent, you know, you, you have to basically act as a neutral party. Okay. You right. can convey information, but you cannot, um, or you, you're not, yeah, you're not allowed to um, advocate on one side or the other. Right. And, and you need to, as an agent, you need to give the, the parties involved in that transaction the opportunity to say, yes, I'm comfortable with that situation or no, I'm not comfortable with right. that situation. Right. Um, and if they're not, then you can always work something else out. Right. Get an attorney involved, bring in another agent right. that can represent one of the two sides amicably. Right. Um, mm-hmm. But, and it can be done. I mean, I've done it a few times where I brought the buyer and it's just neutral. And most of my buyers already know that that's my listing, you know, mm-hmm. because I'm either the one hosting the open house and they found it that way, or they're already clients of mine and the house works out perfect for them. So, yeah. I mean, they, and the, and my sellers understand, yes, that, you know, I get that you're finding the buyer. And if I bring the buyer, I drop the commission percent. Yes. So, you have the right to do that. So it works, you know, and the seller kind of, it's appealing to them because they get a little bit more money in their pocket when that happens. Yeah. Yeah. And um, uh, I think that's, 
sort of a fair trade-off. But at the end of the day, like most of the time, you got a buyer who wants to buy a house and a seller who wants to sell a house. So if you can pair the two and make everybody happy, then it should work out. Right. Um, Where I see that this, this going is I, I personally don't really foresee um, the, the, uh, lawsuit changing much as far as maybe but what i think i see it changing is probably some some additional disclosures yes i was just gonna say that yep how the agents explain commissions and how Mm that maybe there's going to become a broker standardized form right explaining like hey this is negotiable you have a right to agree to this or not agree to this and which is what agents should be doing now anyways yeah Um, but you might see that standardized you might see that it's uh, online now maybe the um, commission is going to be shown online as to what they're what they're offering Um, I could see those two changes coming into play and uh, well what do you do you not have it shown on your MLS what the seller's agent is paying? You do as an agent, but it's oh, not yeah. like on Zillow or realtor.com. Yeah. And I think yeah. that, that at some point in time, mm. you might see that, that might change. change. Yeah. Um, I guess we'll have to see what happens with it. Um, yeah. It was, it would take so long for something like that to really change. Mm. I mean, obviously it's a state by state county by county kind of thing. Like, you know, our state, our, um, county and um, MLS area could do disclosures or standardized yeah. form, and we do it that way. But as an overall countrywide thing, I feel like that would take a very long time to kind of negotiate around. Yeah. Um, the other thing that you might see into the future would be um, agents charging their. So currently, there's usually a broker fee on each transaction. Um, every company varies. In Columbus, it's standard for uh, the the buyer or the seller to be charged somewhere in the range of two hundred to $400 mm-hmm. uh, of tor- for the broker to go mm-hmm. directly from the buyer or the seller to the broker outside of the commission being paid. Mm-hmm. Um, so as a buyer agent, you pay that on the closing table. Um, as a seller agent, it might be included in your commission or in addition to your commission that you're paying. Um, but, uh, you may see that go up, right. If, if, if commissions are going to come down on the buyer side, then you may see agents charging a higher, uh, rate on the other end. Yeah. Um, Yeah. which I I think is fair, uh, if it's the right situation, um, because obviously like this, like you mentioned in this market, the buying, the agent representing the buyer, works so much harder. Um, yeah. And so they have to get compensated or if they can't get compensated, then you're going to see agents leave the marketplace and you're going to see listing agents and sellers have an even higher competitive advantage over the yeah. buyer, uh, which I don't think would be a good thing. No, no, I agree. I agree. So interesting topic. It doesn't, nothing that's going to change what you and I do on a daily basis for a while. Um, but uh, very interesting to discuss. Yeah, um, definitely. What other, what other thoughts do you have on that or anything else? Um, I don't really have any more thoughts about the commission based. Um, I, I know I ranted about the buyers agents and their lenders. I just, I just am so passionate about, 
helping others stand out, you know, like what can you do to be a better agent and experiencing that? I, I thought, wow, like it, I think about how hard you and I work and I think we, we must stand out in our transactions because not everybody works the way that we do. Um, so there's an oversaturated amount of realtors in the country. Anybody yeah. can get their license. It's not hard to test. It's how well you are representing your clients matters. And there's, there's a lot of people who aren't really doing that well. Um, so it's really easy for you to stand out if you just nail the job that you're doing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Stay organized, communicate really well and, uh, you know, add value for your clients. So, yeah. Um, all right. Awesome. Well, this is a good episode, a couple of really good topics. Um, I'm excited to get it out there for everybody to view. We got Me a couple too. other episodes in the pipeline that uh, we're going to get out soon. Um, yes. But uh, until then, have a great week and uh, we'll see you next time. Have a great week. See you, everybody.